0: The Lord be with you and with your A reading from the Holy Gospel according to the Lord. Jesus began speaking in the synagogue, saying, Today the scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke highly of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They also asked, Isn't this the son of Joseph? He said to them, Surely you will quote me this proverb, Physician, cure thyself, and say, Do here in your native place the things that we heard were done in Capernaum. But he said, Amen, I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was closed for three and a half years and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent but only to a widow in Zarephath, in the land of Sidon. Again there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill, on which their town had been built, to hurl him down a headlong. But Jesus passed through the midst of them and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about a four-letter word today. It's a four-letter word that sometimes causes great offense to people. Other times it moves them to the height of rapture. It's a four-letter word that sometimes causes people to make it, use it as an excuse to do whatever they want, and it causes others to live their lives in absolute obedience to a higher power. There's a lot of confusion about this four-letter word, perhaps you've figured out that I'm talking about love. Some, like the Jews in our gospel, are offended when they are loved to the end to the point of having to change their lives. Some, like the Apostle John are brought to the height of ecstasy as they think about God as love. Many people in our society use love as an excuse to do whatever they want. Let love love, right? Which is really translated as, let me do whatever I want. Let me define my own happiness. Don't judge me. But the reality is, is that Jesus Christ never left anyone in the, te- in the temptations and trappings of sin. always called them to freedom. And so we must follow his example. And then there's men and women like St. Blaise who went to their death because of love. Obedient even unto death. So let's talk about love. First, love is not an emotion, it is not a feeling, and it is not a passion. Love is a choice. A choice to give of yourself to another totally. It's truly just a choice. And so everything that St. Paul spoke about in our second reading makes sense if it is something you choose. So when those people, some people come to me and they say, Father, I've fallen out of love with my spouse or my significant other or my children or whatever it is. I've fallen out of love. St. Paul told us in the second reading that love never fails. Because love is a choice. So often I'll ask those couples... When was the last time that you served your spouse? When you sacrificed yourself, not out of resentment or bitterness or obedience or any of those kind of things, but because you saw your spouse as someone worthy of being served. And often I'm met with silence. You've not fallen out of love. You've chosen against it. You've chosen to no longer love your spouse, your significant other, those who you've fallen out of love with. You're no longer fighting for that hard choice, a choice of sacrifice. So then if love is a choice, then what does it look like? Here's where St. Paul comes into play. He gives us an examination of conscience around the understanding of love. This week, I offer you the challenge to think of one or two people you claim to love. It could be a spouse or family members, friends. It could even be an enemy you're trying to learn to love. And use the attributes that St. Paul listed for us as an examination of conscience. Do you truly love this person? Think of that person and ask yourself, Am I patient with them? Am I kind to them? Have I ever been jealous of them or pompous towards them or inflated? Am I rude? Do I seek my own interests whenever I talk to them? Am I quick-tempered? Do I brood over injuries they've caused me? Do I rejoice over wrongdoing and not in the truth? I think if all of us use this as a good examination of conscience, we'll find that we truly start to love. It gives us a way to understand ways we can change ourselves, sacrifice ourselves, and choose to love differently. But if we take it out of the individual and look at our culture, our society, if we judge our society by the same standard, look at the news, Twitter accounts, Facebook, all the rest. Is it rude? Pompous? Seeking its own interests? Quick-tempered? Brooding over injuries? I think we have to be real with ourselves and understand that we live in a culture that puts forth an anti-love message all the time that our culture is the most unloving culture I think I've ever seen. Because we don't do any of these things St. Paul told us to do, we do the opposite. It's all about judgment and getting rid of the other person, tearing the other party down, making sure they look horrible. So I never deal with myself. We see the fruits of this, division, selfishness, murder of innocence, the mocking of God and goodness, and the total lack of morality, and even a hatred of the true, the good, and the beautiful. If we know what love looks like, we know that it's a choice, then how do we start to choose it? Well, you cannot give what you do not have. And so, my brothers and sisters, do you believe that you are loved? Now, often on the first glance of that, we say, Well, of course, Father, I know I'm loved. God has to love me. My spouse or children or my friends, family, whatever, they love me. But I want to go a little deeper. Do you truly believe in the depth of your heart that you are loved? You see, in our first reading with Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you. God was telling Jeremiah, I knew your sins before you were ever even formed in the womb. I knew every way you would reject my love, but guess what, Jeremiah? I chose to create you out of love nonetheless. Every single child, every single person is chosen by God out of love. It is a choice to create by Almighty God. He told that to Jeremiah. He tells that to every single one of us because he wants us to understand that indeed we are loved. So something you can do this week is to pray with that list that St. Paul gives us and think of it in relation in your relationship with God the Father. Do you believe that He loves you with all those same attributes? Patient, kind? And when I started to pray with that this last week, here's two things I struggle with in God's love of me. It seems like God is always seeking His own interests. I live my life by a Benedictine motto that in all things God may be glorified. It's all about Him, it's all about His glory, it seems self-seeking, and it's true, it is. But if you really dig into it, as I really prayed through that, I, come, I came to understand this simple reality, He is the head, and as we say in the preface, that it is right and just to give Him glory and thanks at all times, it's our duty and salvation, and that whenever the head is glorified, so is the body of which I am a member. And so whenever I give glory to God, I gain from that glory. And if you really think about it, God doesn't get anything out of it. He's perfectly happy in himself. So when we glorify God, he gains nothing. And we gain eternal love. That's disinterested love. Another thing that sometimes I struggle with is do not brood over injury. Now I know that God isn't in heaven saying, thinking about all the ways I failed him and brooding over it, but I do that. Sometimes I don't let my sins be forgiven, I brood over them, I keep them around, and God wants to totally forgive them. But because I won't let him, he can't. Do we brood over our own injuries we've caused to our loving Father and reject his love in any key ways? Brothers and sisters, in what ways has Satan slipped lies into your understanding of God's love for you? Can you seek them out through prayer this week and reject them so that you can fully understand that you are loved? And if love is a choice, and you know what it looks like from St. Paul, and you know that you yourself are loved, then and only then can you be an apostle of love in our society. Then and only then can you love others. You can be patient with others because you see how patient God is with you. You can endure pain and suffering because you see how much God endures on your behalf. You can endure all things because he endured his passion and suffering and death from you and for you. You can bear the faults of others because you see how he bears yours. Brothers and sisters, you can love because you can see how you have been loved. And then in our society, we can then truly say that we hate sin in the proper way. We can hate sins like abortion, especially the laws that have been passed in New York and Virginia. One, which is late-term abortions, the other one is practically infanticide. We can hate those sins truly and rightfully because love hates wrongdoings. Love's the truth. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but in the truth. And we can cry out for the excommunication of those who have signed those laws because we understand the reality of love. You see, my brothers and sisters, the excommunication, that whole proclamation, is not condemning anybody to hell. That's not our job. I do not condemn those lawmakers to hell because that's between them and God. But what the excommunication makes very clear is it lets them know what they have chosen that by our choices, we either choose Christ, or we choose against him. That those lawmakers and those who support them, when we saw that image of hell as they signed that law in, and they rejoiced and clapped and laughed at the destruction of innocent lives, when they chose that, they cut themselves off from Christ. The excommunication just lets them know what they've chosen so they can come back home, so they can repent of their choices so they can be healed. We do not cast anyone into hell. We just let them know what their choice is, what they're choosing by their choices. And so my brothers and sisters, when I saw that take place, when I saw pictures of that, read articles about it, it broke my heart. Because imagine the torment and the turmoil that their souls must be in to rejoice at the destruction of innocent life. Love causes us to suffer. For those who have lost the joy of love. True love suffers and sacrifices itself so that those who have rejected love can be healed. Let me say that again. True love suffers and sacrifices itself so that those who have rejected love can be healed. If you don't think that's true, I encourage you to meditate upon the crucifixion. True love suffers and sacrifices itself, so that those who have rejected it can be healed. Brothers and sisters, we're being called to love like Christ. Indeed, we must hate sin. We do not rejoice in wrongdoing, we rejoice in the truth. Can we take up that clarion call to love like Christ and boldly proclaim his cross in our day and age? It'll not be fun, it'll not win us popularity contests, but it'll do the good that God wants us to do. My brothers and sisters, will you love like Christ? Will you let God love you? And then mount your cross and boldly proclaim the gospel to every person in this world, in our country, in your family, everywhere you are. Be not afraid, my brothers and sisters, For you have been called by God, and you are loved.